Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to St. Louis in June. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Be careful today. An excessive heat warning in St. Louis starts at 11 o'clock this morning and runs Michelle through 8 o'clock Wednesday night. So get ready. I think it already started. We were out at Top like Golf last night. It was 9 p.m. and it was still sweltering. Yeah, so I get home. And the first thing my wife tells me is, go take a shower. Because I guess I smelled bad. Mm. So I, I sweated a lot at Top Golf. Well, you were hitting bombs, Randy. That's a lot of exertion. <laughs> a lot of bombs to the right, man. My, <laughs> my bombs were like those old uh, Iraq war off to the right ones. It's not, not great. I couldn't believe your distance, though. You put some mustard on it, Randy. Uh, for an old guy, I can hit I it far. Surprised. I don't know where it's going, but I can hit it far. You and Ryan Helsley, we were, <laughs> to, to backtrack, we were at big the Big League Impact swinging for Impact event, which was just a wonderful night on behalf of Adam Wainwright and Big League Impact. But we were all at Top Golf, and we had different bays, and, and Carl. Cardinals player was assigned per bay. And we had Ryan Helsley, one of the great athletes who's mm-hmm. on the St. Louis Cardinals in our bay. And he could launch bombs. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Randy Carricker was keeping pace with him yard for yard, sometimes outdriving Ryan Helsley. Randy Carricker can drive the ball. Thank you. I could not outdrive Adam, though. We're going to talk more about that at, uh, at 9 o'clock today. That was a, it was a great event. And we're so lucky to have Adam Wainwright and his teammates in St. Louis to help people. As he said before, literally, Big League Impact is saving lives. They are saving lives. They showed a video before the event last night, and we don't realize how many people, not only across the world, but in our country, are dealing with things like food insecurity Mm -hmm. and wondering where their next meals are coming from. And Adam Wainwright has been all over the world, all over the country, getting resources to these people to literally give them the most basic necessities needed to live and save their lives. Meanwhile, the Cardinals did play yesterday. They fell to the red 7-6. Cards take two of three in the series. Cardinals took a lead in the first inning as Tommy Edmonds scored on a wild pitch. And then in the third, Tyler O'Neill reached base ahead of Nolan Arenado. And the 2-1 to Nolan Arenado. Arenado hits it high in the air out to left field. Frito back at the wall, gone! Carries out of here! Two run homer, Nolan Arenado. His 11th of the year. 3-0, St. Louis. 
But the Reds came back to tie it at three, and then they took the lead. Albert Pujols with a ground rule double to tie the game for the Cardinals at four. Then Cincinnati moved ahead with a couple in the seventh, one in the eighth. It's a 7-4 game, bottom of the ninth, and Juan Yepes gives the Cardinals a chance. And the 1-0 pitch. Yepes out to deep left, and we've got a one-run game. Home run number five and a two-run shot here in the bottom of the ninth. And Albert coming up. And you kind of felt like Albert was going to do something magical. I always do. Yeah. But he couldn't come through. He struck out, and the Reds win it 7-6. to six. Obviously, because the Reds are who they are, you would have loved to have won that game and, and swept the series. But the old adage in baseball is if you can play 500 on the road and win two out of three at home, you're going to win your division. You are. That's 94 wins. And so the Cardinals did take two of three. Which is good. You would have liked the sweep, though. This is the time in the schedule where the Cardinals need to and want to feast on their lesser opponents. But the Reds are a little bit better than they were yeah. to start the season. Now, granted, they couldn't have gotten much worse than they were to start the season. They started 18 and 6, or 3 and 23. They were on pace to win 20 games. 3 and 23 to start the season. They've gone 18 and 16 since then. They didn't win any of their first eight series. So I think that they're starting to find themselves just a little bit. But the fact that the Cardinals got within a run of this one, and you know that they were so close to sweep the series. That's a bummer. And the Cardinals did get another solid pitching performance out of Dakota Hudson, who, by the way, in his first nine starts of the season, Michelle, he didn't pitch more than six innings in any of those nine. In his last three, he's had seven innings in each. Yeah, just uh, I've just been challenging hitters, uh, trying to get uh, a little simplified with my my plan and uh, just trying to be more effective and, and force the ball upon the other team. So, And that's what you have to do. Just fill up the strike zone, and if you can do that, and f- especially with this defense, and I talked to Dakota about it last night, just f- force the other team to hit the ball into that defense and take your chances. Absolutely. Adam Wainwright talked about this a little bit last night as well, that when he's out on the mound, sometimes he'll take a breath and turn around and look around, and he's, he's like, I see all the gold gloves behind me, and I know that... I can throw the ball across the plate and get it into the zone and know that these guys are going to handle their business. So that has to be such a relief for a pitcher to know that you can attack hitters like that and that the guys behind you can can take care of it. Hudson more economical than he was early in the season. He threw 95 pitches, did allow six runs on nine hits, but importantly for the Cardinals, he only walked two, struck out two, and the Cardinals fall 7-6. Tonight, the Cardinals in a 6-45 game will send Zach Thompson to the mound for his first start in the major leagues, and he'll be a Posed by Mitch Keller of the Pirates. It's a 645 game at the ballpark. And then Michelle tomorrow, a doubleheader between the Cards and the Buccos. So we're looking forward to that. The Cardinals did lose a game in the standings yesterday. Milwaukee knocked off Washington 4-1. So the Redbirds only a half game up in first place in the division. Meanwhile, yesterday, has there ever been more drama in golf than there is right now? Because of Liv? Yeah. Yesterday, the RBC uh, Canadian Championship, the Canadian Open, and Rory McIlroy won it. He noted before being asked that he did pass someone on the all-time wins list with his 21st. That someone happened to be Greg Norman. <laughs> LIV is a golf league, as you know, backed by the Saudi government. And during yesterday's broadcast of the tournament on CBS, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan was interviewed by Jim Nance. Here's a snippet. 9-11 families united sent a letter to the representatives of Phil, Dustin, Bryson, Reed, and others quote, expressing their outrage towards the golfers for participating in the new league 
and accusing them of sports washing and betraying the United States, end quote. And that's gotten a lot of steam over the last 24 hours. That story first reported again in the New York Post. How much did you talk to your players about the possible ramifications if they sign on with the new league? Well, I talked to players. I've talked at a player meeting, and I've and I've talked to a number of players uh, individually uh, for a long period of time. And I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that there are significant implications. And as it relates to the families of 9/11, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones, and so my heart goes out to them. And I would ask, you know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving. Have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? That is Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour. And Michelle, I just get the sense that this is going to get more and more harsh. I, I don't think it's going away or being tempered anytime soon. I'm, no. with, I'm with you, Randy. But I wonder if it even really matters at this point to a lot of these golfers. They are getting their guaranteed money. It, it almost feels like to them the initial damage is probably already done with the with the public reaction and, and the public backlash mm-hmm. initially. And now I think a lot of them are probably just going out and playing golf. And the USGA always has fun with the pairings. And the U.S. Open is this weekend in Brookline, Massachusetts. And they always have fun with the pairings. And it's never been to this level. But you think about what they could do now. They can have Rory and Charles Schwartzel. Rory obviously won this week on the PGA Tour. Schwartzel won on the on the Live Tour. Uh, you could have Patrick Reed and Justin Thomas, or Patrick Reed and uh, Rory McIlroy. Uh, you could have Rory and Phil at the U.S. Open as a pairing. You could really have some high drama and great reality TV this week at the U.S. Open. Which is good for golf. It really is. At the end of the day, it's good for it golf. really is good for golf. The NBA Finals continue tonight here on 101 ESPN. The pregame at 7 as the Warriors come home with a 2-2 tie against Boston. All the action here on 101 ESPN. And then Wednesday, Michelle, Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals here on 101 ESPN between... Our Tampa Bay Lightning, go Bolts, and the Colorado Avalanche. LGP, let's go Pat Marone. Yeah, let's go Pat. Become LGP. The, the greatest dynasty in the history of hockey. It's up to Pat Maroon to save us from yet another Cronky championship. Yeah, come on, Pat. You can do it. We believe in you, Patty. Yeah, hometown hero, baby. And it is Dad's Week. We've got Father's Day next week. This day, uh, we're going to start Dad's Week by talking to the father of one of our favorites here in St. Louis. Brian O'Reilly is the father of Ryan O'Reilly. We're going to talk to him at 8.15. Danny Mack at 8.45. Chaser will join us at 9.30. And we'll talk about the three-year anniversary of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup and have a lot of fun. But coming up next year on 101 ESPN with Michelle and Randy and Matthew... Start one, bench one, cut one on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I do head. What? It's start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. Welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker, Matthew Rocchio, great to have you with us. And Michelle, did you see over the weekend that Zion Williamson said about New Orleans, I do want to be here. That's no secret. 
So Zion says he wants to stay in New Orleans. So start one, bench one, cut one. Zion's love for New Orleans, Russell Wilson's love for Seattle, and LeBron's love for Cleveland. Okay, I am going to start LeBron's love for Cleveland Mm -hmm. because his exit and subsequent homecoming was one of the biggest things we've seen in sports. And not only the fact that he went back, he actually brought a championship. Yep. It's one of the best the best stories we'll see. I guess I will then bench Russ in Seattle because he's won a championship there. And I'm going to cut Zion's love for New Orleans because it was not obvious to me that he loved New Orleans. Didn't seem to be. So yep. I think I'm going to have to give that one the boot. Yep. I am... Uh... I'm going to start LeBron as well. He did everything he promised. I am going to bench Zion because he hasn't pulled the plug on his city yet. And despite Russell Wilson's preachings about how much he loves Seattle, he's not there anymore. He forced his way out. So I'm going to cut uh, Russ. Randy, I read this. No, let's ride. Oh, let's ride. There we go. Let's ride is the new one. Let's ride is the new Go Hawks. Doesn't fit as well. No. Doesn't fit as well. But you know what? Let's give it time. Maybe it'll grow on us. I don't think so. I don't think so either. What's but his you other line? Know. The one that Sierra gave him? Mr. Unlimited? Mr. Unlimited, yeah. That one didn't fly. <laughs> You've ruined my Monday now. Sorry about that. I read this morning, Randy, that Jennifer Hudson became an EGOT winner last Jay night. Hud, congratulations. Yes, which is a very rare thing in the entertainment world. It's where you capture an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. She was one of the producers of a, a Broadway play called A Strange Loop, and she won a Tony last night. So let's take the Tony out of this. Okay. Start one, bench one, cut one. Awards you'd like to win. An Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar. Okay, I am going to, I'm going to start the Oscar. I am going to bench, this is tough, I I think I'm going to bench the Grammy and cut the Emmy. Uh, Grammys are still a really big deal. Uh, Oscar is, that's iconic. Uh, So I think Oscar, of all the EGOT things, I think the Oscar is number one. Uh, so yeah, I would go Grammy, I would bench, and Emmy, I would cut. How about you? I'm with you. I think more more people win Emmys. It's more commonplace that you see people like you or I. I mean, we're not going to win an Emmy, but we could. You mm-hmm. know, local news reporters can win Emmys. Good point, yeah. Um, whereas a, a local person is not going to win an Oscar. That's the most rarefied of error. So I'm with you. I'm going to start the Oscar, even though I think it's kind of messed up that people can whip votes for Oscar mm-hmm. winners that they could go to all the lunches and basically get the Lobby. members of the academy to like somebody <coughs> Sandra Bullock the blind side yeah um, good call yeah. ridiculous that she won an award for that she, she's a great actress she should not have won an Oscar for the blind side no it's outrageous but anyway I'm still starting the Oscar I'm going to bench the Grammy and I'm going to cut the Emmy okay. by the way did you see that she's essentially retired now I would retire if I was her. Yeah, why not? You won your Oscar. You've been one of the great actresses of your time. I'm sure you've made a ton of money. Yeah. What? Live your life. What's left? Enjoy it. Right. All right, Matthew, what do we have in the text line? 65780. Mr. Unlimited. There he is. Why, Russ? It's so horrible, and and I want to listen to it over and over (laughs) again on a loop. Uh, Start one, bench one, cut one. You're sitting at a sporting event in below 25, above 100, or in the rain. Ooh, oh, my God. This is an easy one for me. 
Go ahead. I am starting above 100. I'm benching the rain and I'm cutting under 25. I don't want anything to do with under 25. Not that I'm thrilled with the rain, but, and I don't really mind the 100 degree weather. I'm actually going to start the rain. Hmm. Because it's sometimes refreshing to be in the rain. And once you initially get wet, it's like whatever. Doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times you have great sporting events that happen in the rain. I like to be in the elements. So I'm going to start the rain. I'm going to bench above 100 and I'm cutting below 25. Miserable. Cold weather's the worst. Miserable. Many a Cardinals postseason game spent in misery outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as long as the rain means like it's between like 60 and 85 degrees, I'm cool with the rain. I'm with you on that one. Most clutch. Start one, bench one, cut one. Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan. Ooh, this is good. Well, Jordan never lost the finals. That's an important point, Michelle. So I'm going to start Jordan. I think I'm going to have to bench Tom Brady and cut Tiger because Tiger had a stretch there where he was not clutch. And Brady does have 28-3 to on his resume. Yes, he does. He was able to bring his team back. And Tiger was a spectacular front runner and held people off when leading after 54 holes, but never really had to have that rally. So I'm going to... I'm going to go the same as you. We've seen Michael hit game-winning shots, whether it's Cleveland or Utah or whomever. We've, we've seen him do it right at the end of the game. And right? call a shot yeah. and then hit it. Yep, yep. And Brady, obviously, 28-3. And granted, yeah, Brady did have the uh, the intentional grounding calls and, and the problems in the Super Bowls against Eli, in which Eli saved the world a couple times. But I'm going to go with uh, with Brady to bench and then Tiger to cut two, which is not an affront to Tiger at all. No. Start one, bench one, cut one. Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson, Charles Schwartzel. Ooh, wow. I think that the cartoonish drive length of Bryson will make him probably the most attractive entity on the live tour. Obviously, Phil is is Phil. He's one of the great and most visible golfers of our time. So I'm going to bench him. And then Charles Schwartzel, honestly, he won a tournament this week. He's won a major. And if Charles Schwartzel walked through that door, Michelle, I wouldn't know who it was. I would think it was a new sales guy. 100%. I'm kind of surprised Charles Schwartzel is even in the combo here. Mm-hmm. He won this week. That's I why. understand. <laughs> but still, to put him yep. with Bryson and Phil from a popularity standpoint. Yeah. No. It's no. more of a hatred standpoint. I'm going to start Phil because lefty's won and mm-hmm. he's still got a lot of juice. I'm going to bench Bryson and cut Schwartzel. Good call. Former Cardinals, start one, bench one, cut one. Matt Carpenter, Randy Rosarena, Michael Waka. Well, I'm going to start Marp, who's on fire right now, and I'm going to tell you about him at 730. One of my favorite things from the weekend is the resurgence of our boy Marp. And what were the last two? A Rosarena and who? Waka. Michael Waka. Ooh. I am going to bench Michael Waka because we've had some great moments with him in a Cardinals uniform. And I'm going to have to cut Randy A. We hardly knew ye. I'm going to start Randy A because of his consistent quality over the last year plus. I am going to bench Marp. Marp 
has been terrific, not only this year for the Yankees, but before that, in the Texas system, he had an OPS over 900. And Waka had one great start. He, yeah, he's 4-1 with a 1.99, but he's still going to get hurt. Love you, Michael, but you're still going to get hurt. So uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut Michael Waka. That made me kind of sad. But am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. Everyone's going to get hurt. Yeah. We're all day to day. Some people get hurt more than others. That's true. That's unfortunate. Start one, bench one, cut one. Soda, sweet tea, lemonade. So easy. Lemonade gets the start. Sweet tea gets the bench. Soda gets the boot. Mm. I don't I don't like tea at all. That's crazy to me, Randy. That is crazy. Yeah, I'm with you, Randy. Uh, so regular even or sweet tea, either one. Don't like tea. Oh no, wow! So on a hot day like today, you're out at the golf course. Lemonade or water? You're saying no to an Arnold Palmer. I am. Wow. Yep. I'm I not saying no to an Arnold Palmer. I just need it to be like a 60/40 lemonade sweet tea split on my Arnold Palmer. So it's got to be more lemonade than sweet. That's tea. one of the sh- most shocking things about you, Randy, is that uh, you would say no to an Arnold Palmer. As you know, I like my occasional diet, Dr. Pepper. You do love a DDP, yes. So I'm going, I'm actually going to start the soda bench the lemonade, cut the the sweet tea. Wow. And by the way, our friend Adam Wainwright will be disgusted with me that I don't like sweet tea. I can't believe that this is the first time I'm learning about this. I don't like. Tea. I never order tea. Don't like it at all. My entire family likes tea, but I don't. So you're going to go to Chick Fil A and say no on a Sun Joy. Yes, I am. Wow. Yep. I feel like the meal hits different with the Sun Joy to wash it down. So you buy the number one. Here's your play when you buy the number one at Chick-fil-A. What's your, that? The spicy chicken sandy? Your uh, traditional Traditional. Okay. Got it. Oh, waffle, yeah. Spicy number yeah. two. Waffle fries and a chocolate shake, Michelle. Chocolate shake. Too heavy. No, 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 no. Too heavy. Shakes. What Delicious. did Adam call Chick-fil-A last night? The Lord's Chicken? Yeah, he did. The Lord's Chicken. <laughs> hits different with the Sun Joy. See, Michelle, you said it hits different with the Sun Joy, but also you're forgetting the fountain, or maybe just you're not experienced, the fountain Coke at Chick-fil-A. It's out of this freaking world. It's so it's so good. So the Sun Joy works, but just getting a fountain Coke at, at Chick-fil-A never fails. I will say this. One of my three or four favorite Sports Center commercials is Arnold Palmer getting an old Arnold Palmer. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> I, I love it. They all clap. They all clap after he goes. I would say it's one of my favorite favorites part. is when LeBron James and uh, Scott Van Pelt are in the cubes next to each other, and oh. LeBron's like, "Did you Take steal my, my chair? chair?" And then pants to Scott Van Pelt, who's sitting in a throne for King James, <laughs> and he's like, "No, I don't know what you're talking about. That one's so good. That was classic. Oh man." And start one, bench one, cut one. It's 2023, and you got one ticket to see it, and you got tickets to see a game. Bush Stadium, Enterprise Center, Centene Stadium. 2023. Well, I'm going to Centene because I want to see City SC. It's going to be new and exciting. It's hot. It's going to be the best ticket in town. And then does it say what month in 2023 or just the year? Just says 2023. I think this is tough. Because I guess guess there would be... In early September, potentially, like a little overlap of preseason blues. Well, this is easy for me. I want to see the new and exciting St. Louis City SC. Then I want to go see the defending World Series champs at Bush. And then I'll go to Enterprise Center, and hopefully it's October of 2023, and I'm watching the defending Stanley Cup champions. But that's the way I'm going to do it. Or you're watching a team that's getting ready to go on a journey to win a Stanley Cup. Right, exactly. What are those two? Except they don't know it, which is even more exciting. No, you know it. 
That they're going to win the cup? Yeah, you know it. I knew it this year. I still know it. I still <laughs> feel a certain type of way about them getting bounced and watching yeah. Colorado be in the Stanley Cup final. I'm like, yeah. six seconds, man. Six yep. seconds. Yep. It's almost as more time goes on, the more better I get about it. Six seconds. You could have pushed to overtime and then... I had every confidence that they were going to take it in overtime. I was sitting next to you in the press yep. box. We both felt great about it. Yeah, you never... Well, once you put that sort of pressure on a team like Colorado, you never know. Well, especially coming off game five. Yeah, right. You take them to, Definitely. to overtime? That's yeah, it. They would have been feeling it. Oh, six seconds. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. That's... Start one bench, one cut, one on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Michelle and I will have three things we love from the weekend on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy, good to have you with us, and it's time for the three things we love from the weekend. Michelle? Number three. Is my mic on? Hello? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like me to go first, Randy? I would, Michelle. Okay, so we know that Joe Madden was fired after the Angels were in the middle of a 14-game losing th- streak. They felt that Joe Madden's voice was not effective anymore, and they got rid of him. Well, over the weekend, we learned that prior to his dismissal, that Joe Madden had wanted to do something to spark his team and help turn the tide. He actually got a mohawk shaved into his head, Randy. He planned to reveal it to the Angels before their next game. He was fired before he could show it to them, and they never got to see it. So the thought of Joe Madden walking around with a mohawk and then getting fired... And having to have that as, as his haircut for no reason because he's no longer the manager of the Angels. It just made me laugh so hard. God bless Joe Madden for wanting to do something extreme to try to spark his team. But thinking about him getting a phone call or having a face-to-face meeting with uh, the Angels contingent and he's got a mohawk just makes me laugh. So Perry Manasian, their GM, was on his way into the ballpark when he decides to fire Madden, calls up the owner, Artie Moreno. Moreno says, fine, do it. So he detours and goes to Madden's house. Can you imagine Madden opening the door with the mohawk? No. (laughs) And Manasian saying, okay, if I hadn't made up my mind before. (laughs) Or are you like, I can't, this is just too sad. Yeah. That that you've just shaved your head into a mohawk to spark the team, and now I'm gonna fire you, and now you got to go to the grocery store as just a dude with a mohawk. That's one of the great. And it's not stories. a funny story anymore. <laughs> Brutal. Brutal. Michelle, my number three is Rory McIlroy winning that Canadian Open yesterday. He and his partners were sensational down the stretch, and Rory was able to put it away late. He parred the final hole so that he could come away at 17 under and win the Canadian Open. But my favorite part was after the match when he said, it was my 21st career victory I passed somebody even he gave the little pause yeah and that, so he had to go search and find out that it was greg norman uh-huh. and then takes the his shade little, yeah takes his little shots during his press conference uh that was fun to see and i don't think that the pga tour could have scripted it any better than to have rory winning on this weekend of the first liv golf tournament you're right it's exactly the headline that needed to happen rory winning mm-hmm. i have number been- it's fine fire it <laughs> <laughs> number two 
Few things have made me happier recently than watching Matt Carpenter have success as a member of the New York Yankees. There is some power in that mustache that makes him look like he's going to wear bell bottoms or some sort of a leisure suit after the game. He looks like he's straight out of the 70s, but his performance has been incredible. So the Yankees, by the way, have won 11 out of 12. They absolutely smashed the Cubs yesterday, 18-4, to on the back of Matt Carpenter. He homered twice. He had seven RBI. And he's just been playing so well for them. He also had a big bases loaded walk. And he's just been really great. It's hard to believe that he was in AAA just a little bit ago. And he's only gotten two plate appearances since June 3rd. And then he comes out with the performance that he had yesterday. Again, three for four, two home run and seven RBI. After the game, he said, I played this game long enough to know what it feels like and looks like when I'm right. And this is certainly that. So the fact that he's had six plus home runs in his first 10 games as a Yankee, he's on a bit of a hot streak right now. And after hearing everything he did in the offseason, the quest he was on, the odyssey really, to remake himself and remake him, his swing, we know what it's like too and it looks like Matt Carpenter is on and boy is he on right now. And Michelle people got tired of us talking about the fact that it was sad to see what happened with him here because he is such a good guy and a hard worker and I'm like you after what he endured here and then the work that he put in during the off season I'm really happy that he's getting a payoff here and he'll have the opportunity to be with a team that has a chance to win a World Series. By the way he, he hasn't been a, a big part of a World Series champion. So if he can, if the Cardinals can't win it, it wouldn't bother me at all if he would win. He's someone I will always cheer for. Michelle, my number two for the weekend of things that I love from the weekend is Tyreek Hill, new Miami Dolphin, saying that his new quarterback, our friend, because it's our team, Tua, is more accurate than his old quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Tyreek <laughs> saying, obviously, I'm obviously I'm going to go with 1-5 as the strongest arm, but as far as accuracy-wise, I'm going with Tua all day. All Tua has to do is get the ball into the hands of Tyreek Hill, 5 to 10 yards downfield, and Tyreek's going to take off and do the rest. He is the cheetah, after all. So the fact that, and whether or not it's true, we don't, well, we do know, but the fact that he has that much confidence to say what he says about Tua Tagovailoa is pretty cool to me. Yeah, it's a bold statement. Yeah. It's a bold statement, but also he can make Tua look really good. You're right. Tua just has to lean Mm -hmm. on him, and he's going to at least get us to believe that statement a little bit more. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to be as accurate as Patrick Mahomes, but I think he can certainly be better. The ceiling for improvement is there. One of the reasons that Patrick Mahomes' completion percentage isn't as good as it might be is because a lot of balls just popped right off of Tyreek Hill's hands. So that that accuracy that Tua has might be because of the, the noodle arm. Oh, man. But I'm looking forward to, to seeing this. I don't know. Do we call it a new look Dolphins? A, a, an improved Dolphins? Yeah. A cool coach. Mm-hmm. And Tyreek Hill loves him. And yeah, they're with Waddle and Tyreek on the outside, pretty good offensive line. They're going to be good. They're going to be able to score points. They have certainly put Tua in a position to succeed. If he doesn't succeed, it's all on him and his abilities. And I want him to succeed. I do too. I really like, like a good not guy. only because we like the Dolphins, but because... He's endured a lot physically, overcome a lot with the hips. He does seem like a good guy. Yeah, when you're 20 years old, you aren't supposed to have those hip issues. Those are 90-year-old hip issues. That's right. Not 20. No. I mean, what are the chances, though, it's week eight? Buccaneers are 6-2. and two, Dolphins are 4-4. Four and four, Maybe, maybe Zero. worse. Dolphins will be way ahead of that. Yeah, and 
Well, I was just going to say, and we're talking more about how Tom Brady could have been the, the, the quarterback for the Dolphins, and you're still kidding. They're still kicking themselves for, for maybe Bill Belichick uh, planting a nicely timed text to, to blow that all up. Oh, the other cheetah. Tossing it out there. By the way, uh, Dolphins 4-4. Four and four. Shut your mouth, Matthew Rocchio. <laughs> Because here's what's going to happen. Michelle, you want to know what's going to happen? Please. Okay, here we go. 2022 Dolphins. Uh, let's start with uh, the regular season opener. We've got uh, New England at home, 1-0. L. We're at Baltimore. We're 1-1. One one. We've got Buffalo L. at home. We're 2-1. We're at Cincinnati. Oh, pretty three. tough schedule. Uh, we're 3-1. We're at the Jets. We're 4-1. Got Minnesota at home. We're 5-1. Pittsburgh at home. We're 6-1. And three and three. At Detroit. Uh, seven and Three one. And so yeah, uh, seven and one. Four. Halfway through the season. Sounds good to me. Yeah, it'll be great. Sounds like a sounds like a rough one and three start. I don't think so, man. I think you're kind of overrating the uh, first three teams again. Patriots at home. Definitely Dol- beat them. Dolphins always beat the Patriots. Always. So. At Baltimore, that'll be their loss. And then uh, they come home to take on Buffalo. It's going to be ninety degrees. Buffalo's used to like forty <laughs> degrees. It's uh, Buffalo will be dead by the fourth quarter. You know, Randy, I, I love you, and I love the positivity. I do not think the Dolphins are going to beat the Bills. In what's, in what's week four? Uh, at Cincinnati. They're it's, not going to beat the Bengals. Cincinnati either. had their year. It's <laughs> their the year. It's the Bengals. That's what happens with Cincinnati. But Joe Burrow has changed their circumstances. Okay, they're not the same old Bengals. They've, they've got Joe Cool under center. Yeah, well, I feel bad for them. Because I, I, I felt bad for us when we lost our quarterback to a second ACL in three years, too. This happens when you're Cincinnati or St. Louis. Sorry. Happens. Number one. Yesterday, pretty important day in St. Louis sports history, June 12th, 2019. You may remember a day that's etched in history forever, as the Blues tweeted. Yesterday was the three-year anniversary of the day that the Blues hoisted their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. We aired Game 7 here on 101 ESPN. We were celebrating all over St. Louis. It was called We Went Blues Day. And Randy, just to to relive that magic, going through, you know, on your phone, they pop up the memories, just the videos from that day that I have and, and the, the photos. And you can just listen to the game on 101 ESPN. Or I'm, I know they aired it on Bally as well, watching mm-hmm. it. It just transports you back. You can just summon that feeling of pure joy and excitement. And it's just such a special day. So over the weekend, getting to relive that even just a little bit, that was the highlight for me. That's a thing to love from the weekend. And Michelle, I really loved the emotion of Saturday because the Cardinals looked flat. When you don't hit, you look flat. And they don't score a run for the first five innings. They finally get one in the sixth. But in the eighth, the Reds get a base hit to make it a 4-1 game. And we're thinking, okay, well, this is just not going to be our day. And then Tyler O'Neill doubles a couple home in the eighth inning. Cardinals can't get another run. And so they're still going into the ninth, down by a score of 5-3. to three. And with two out, Edmundo Sosa pinch hits for Juan Yepes, who had singled. And that brought Tommy Edmond hitting left-handed to the plate. The 2-1. Edmond with a drive out to deep right. It is gone! It's a walk-off! We're down to their final out, and they win it off the bat of Tommy Edmond. Home run number six. The Birds walk it off. 
such a great spark plug for this team. And I really thought that after that game, the Reds would go back to that Brian Price. When we come into St. Louis, we don't expect to win. And then, obviously, they came away with a victory yesterday. But that was a dramatic win for the Cardinals. And that's one we, we've had some games this year where they've lost, where you say, man, I hope that doesn't come back to bite them. That's one where you say, we kind of got away with one. And if they win by one, mm-hmm. you say, okay, well, we got one we probably shouldn't have had on that June day at home against the Reds. We also appreciate him a lot, but I don't think we've talked about just how much value Tommy Edmond brings to this team. When you think about the top four, the, the two, three, and four wouldn't be what they are if they didn't have the one at the mm-hmm. top of the order, right? Yes. Tommy Evans, a table setter. He's been a fantastic table setter for Goldie and Arenado and now O'Neill. And yeah, he's, he's a difference maker. He's a huge part of the reason this team is good. That is our three favorite things that we love from the weekend. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We've got to take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Randy, Matthew with you. And Michelle, as we know, the Mets visited the West Coast last week and last weekend. And when they were at Dodger Stadium, a young lady wearing a very classy purple backless uh, pantsuit was dancing, enjoying herself at the game. And unfortunately, she was dancing to a level with such moves that her breasts continually fell out of the outfit. And three Dodger security guys went down. She was a little bit inebriated, probably. Mm -hmm. Three Dodger security guys had to carry her out of Dodger Stadium. Take it or leave it, the Dodgers just should have given her a Dodgers t-shirt. They're giving away free t-shirts anyway between innings. Just give her a t-shirt. I'm going to leave that because I imagine if you're getting that intoxicated at a game, they're viewing it as a liability and they're going to remove you from the premises. I think that it was she was just trying to be a good Dodgers cheerleader, Michelle. I think she just give her a T-shirt and let her continue dancing and supporting her ball club. Yeah, I don't really have much on this one, Randy. I don't really know what to say to you here. Um, It's all over the interwebs. There's video and everything. I'm sure that most of our male listeners have probably watched it, which is great. Give her a t-shirt. So we know that the Stanley Cup final starts on Wednesday, 7 o'clock Central. It's the Tampa Bay Lightning versus the Colorado Avalanche. Take it or leave it, Pat Maroon has a game-deciding goal in this Stanley Cup final. I'm going to take that, yeah. he uh, He's like us. He knows who the owner of the Avalanche is and doesn't like him. He's going to, even though it's the finals and he's always highly motivated, uh, he'll have an extra edge against that guy. And he just always shows up when it matters Big most. Time. Pat yep. Maroon is always does. there. Yep, one of the great, if not the greatest, dynasties in hockey history. All right, Matthew, what do we got on the text line? From the 314, take it or leave it. Your top five prospects are gone, but you get Juan Soto on an extension. Yeah, I'll take it. That'd be pretty good. So my top... Uh, I was going to say, so th- that's... We're going to include Gorman and Libertor. I, I okay, was going to say, are Gorman and Libertor part of that mix? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. I'm I'm leaving it. I'm never going to take one guy over five. I'm going to take that guy over five. Yeah. I'm Um, I'm not. That's reasonable. Uh, Because if he gets injured. Jordan Walker, by the way. Yeah, Jordan Walker. Walker, Gorman, Libertor, Herrera, Wynn. Woo! Yeah, I'm not taking... I'm not taking one guy over five guys, especially one guy that's going to cost me that much money. But you get the extension. You know what you're paying him. It's still. I look back to Albert Pujols choosing to go to the Angels Mm -hmm. and think about how the Cardinals dodged a massive bullet there. Not that we don't love Albert, but because they would not have had the financial freedom to build the team the way they wanted to. I'm always going to take... And and the way that some of these prospects are projected, and yes, I know we're putting a lot of hope in in them, but Cardinals have a pretty good track record on on young guys coming up and performing. So I'm going with the five as opposed to one, despite the fact that Juan Soto is amazing. And Soto, by the way, 23 years old, and so far in his five major league seasons, his 162 game averages are a 292 batting average, 425 on base, 539 slug. He has a career 964 OPS averages over 162 games, 34 homers and 105 RBIs a year. Yeah, okay, fair point. Uh, 636, take it or leave it. Harrison Bader will learn his lesson and really excel for the rest of the season. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take it. He already he learned his lesson on Saturday. Yes, he did. So, And I love the fact that Harrison Bader, whether it was last a couple of years ago during the pandemic season, he dropped a ball in center field, went to the Cardinal PR staff and said, Look, I want to. I want to be on the Zoom. I got to talk about this. Yeah. Or owning it yesterday with Jim Hayes and then with the media and saying, "Hey, I didn't hustle down to first. It was a mistake. It won't happen again. I'll, I'll totally take it." But I love the fact that he is such an accountable player. Yeah, without a doubt. And it is was surprising in general that he wouldn't be somebody that would hustle mm-hmm. something out because he's always a guy that you see putting max effort out there so you know he's definitely going to learn from this but I just think more people would benefit from having that sort of an attitude yeah I messed up and I'm going to be better and I respect my boss for calling me out on it and holding me accountable because that's the only way that I'm going to grow yeah most people especially someone in his position would probably deflect or maybe pout a little bit or some people flip off the fans. Looking at you, Gary Templeton. There you go. Um, he is someone that holds himself to a certain standard and is doesn't mind being held accountable, yeah. and I appreciate that. Gary Templeton. Love that move. He, uh, so Whitey pulls him down into the dugout, and so I'm working that day. Legend. Um, I, I, so for Costello, I was, I was down on the field. And the untold story is that once he was up in the tunnel... Gene Tennis grabs him by the scruff of his jersey and has him up against the wall. And Gary's feet were like six inches off the floor. And Gene Tennis is kind of like pounding him against the back of the wall. And as it turned out, Gary had a chemical imbalance and that's been cured. And he's turned into a really good, responsible person that uh, is great for society. Chemical imbalance is what they called it back in the day. Really? Yeah. Take it or leave it. All but one of Carbs' homers. Now they call it an addiction. (laughs) That's a polite way to say it. It is. All but one of Carp's homers are flyouts at Bush Stadium. Oh. I haven't I'm trying to think of all of them, but that that yard in New York certainly helps him. Yeah. I don't know if all of them, but one would would be flyouts at Bush, but it does highlight some of the bad luck that he had at Bush Stadium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
According to stadium charts, which John Boy on Twitter put up yesterday, they would all be home runs at Bush. Really? Good. Yes. There you Bush's, go. I mean, Bush's right field isn't exactly the most you know towering apparatus in baseball either. But it's like the opposite of Yankee Stadium. It is yeah. overall, but yeah, it, it's shocking that they'd all be home runs. But I mean, that's a, according to the, the maps and everything, it, they'd all be home runs at, at Bush Stadium, which is kind of surprising. Uh, take it or leave it. Marb's recent success solidifies the Jeff Albert criticisms. I would leave that. And Michelle, there was a great piece by Ken Rosenthal before the season started in The Athletic. And Marp said he never really accepted the teachings of Jeff Albert. Mm -hmm. He didn't blame Jeff Albert. He blamed himself. I don't know if he's just doing that to be nice. But he said that he'd never really bought into what Jeff Albert was selling. Yeah. And I don't know if Jeff Albert is the catalyst to Matt Carpenter's swing looking the way that it did. No. I think that he changed his bat he changed his stance he changed his mechanics he essentially reworked the entire thing mm-hmm. from the ground up and he worked with many different specialists and like we said got a new bat he got new hardware he he really had to find himself again from every aspect of his game we have certainly been critical of jeff albert here but if we're going to blame him and he is the hitting coach so you, you don't, I mean, who else are you going to blame? But then what do you do about Tommy Edmond? And what do you do about a guy like Carlson who was third in the, the rookie of the year voting last year? Mm-hmm. And what do you do about people like Brendan Donovan and Juan Yepes who come up here and hit? It's, it, do you Does he get any credit for those guys? Does he get credit for Tyler O'Neill down the stretch last right, year? Right, right. So it, it's a tough situation to navigate for us as fans because we really don't know what his interaction is with players. Remember, Marp took him out to his ranch in Texas. We thought they were syncopato, right? He was the ringleader getting a bunch of guys yeah. out there. Frozen yeah. rope, right? That's right. what it's called. Yeah. I remember the, the piece in the Post-Dispatch about it, yeah. where he was getting a bunch of the Cardinals players out there during the offseason to really dedicate themselves, which is to Jeff Albert's teachings, which is why I was surprised to read in the offseason that he would make comments saying he hadn't been a devotee of Jeff mm-hmm. Albert because he was kind of the ringleader back in the yeah. day. Right, so it's, it, it's difficult to determine why a player succeeds or does not. And by the way, uh, Paul DeYoung, another home run. He has nine now at AAA, and his OPS is up to like 843 for Memphis. All right, Paulie D. And I think that a lot of the consternation about Jeff Albert is hand-in-hand hand with people feeling that way about John Mosaylock and mm-hmm. the way that the Good Cardinals point. have doubled down on his philosophies. Um, and I think a lot of people can't separate their feelings from Mo. And so any yeah. any person that or entity that Mo backs wholeheartedly, people are going to project their negative feelings for Mo onto yeah. him. That's a great point. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next, last night was an example of why the Cardinals' relationship with St. Louis is so special and different. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. Eight 
8.05 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Ryan O'Reilly's dad, Brian O'Reilly, set to join us in just a few minutes. But, Michelle, we had the great good fortune of being at Adam Wainwright's Big League Impact Swing for Impact event last night at Top Golf, And... Everybody there had a great time. There were a lot of people on hand. And first of all, a shout out to the folks at Big League Impact beyond Adam. His staff really does a great job of planning and executing events, and it was a lot of fun. It really was. It was such a great event, and they do such a good job, as you mentioned, Randy. You and I have done a lot of things uh, from a charity standpoint, events where we've emceed or, or been involved in some way. And it's it's rare to step into a situation with a group like that and have them be so organized and have everything flow so seamlessly. But every time we work with Big League Impact, they are on top of everything. And Adam has really assembled an amazing team that helps them put on these events, which helps them raise money to help people. And it's amazing that the Cardinals and the Cardinal players have developed such a, a deep relationship with the fan base and with the city. It's it's remarkable, and I don't think there's many cities like that. I was thinking about that as we were there. I, I wonder how many markets could have an event like that with 30 current and former players who are there to support one guy, but also to do great things for the community. Yeah, it, it probably is pretty rare, but I also think you hit the nail on the head, though. It's not just that the guys want to support St. Louis. It's that they really want to support Adam mm-hmm. Wainwright. How are you going to say no to that guy? If you know that he's putting on an event and you know all the great work that he's actually going to do, that his organization is actually going to do and how many lives he's going to touch. And we talk to him every week. And, you know, when somebody has a bad day, he's the first person to say, you're a great player. You're going to get him next time and give him a hug. He's there for everyone all the time. So why wouldn't the team want to show up and support him? And one of the other ancillary benefits of this is that whenever you're around a a team that's good, everybody talks about how everybody likes each other. And clearly, this group likes each other. This is not only something that is beneficial for the community and the world that Adam is doing, but when you have a group of players that genuinely like each other and want to do things with each other like they did last night, that's ultimately going to benefit you on the field, too. Absolutely. There were so many Cardinals players there supporting Adam Wainwright last night that they all couldn't fit in the front of the room and the Mm -hmm. room we were in at Topgolf. They were all spilling onto the side because there were so many guys there. And what I thought was really cool, Randy, is that it wasn't just the veteran guys. It wasn't just Yachty and Albert that showed up or the pitching staff like Steven Matz and Dakota Hudson. It, it was everybody. Goldie was there. You had the young guys in Harrison Bader, and you had different pit guys from a, a pitching perspective. Every single aspect of the team was accounted for. You had Ali Marmol and Skip Schumacher there, former players that were there that are still involved with the organization there to support Adam. And that's when you know that there's real connectivity with the team is that it's not just one part of the team that Adam hangs out with. It wasn't just the starting pitchers that were all there. Or like I mentioned, um, the veteran guys in Albert and Yachty, although it was very cool that both of them showed up. Mm -hmm. It just shows you how much of an impact Adam has across the entire team. Would it surprise you if in five years, Tommy Edmond were the face of the Cardinals? He was the person that you saw front and center with media, a guy that's involved with Hmm. charities, a guy that's somebody that when you think of the Cardinals, you think of him. Now, remember, we we don't have Jordan Walker here yet, but you're going to have Gorman. You're going to have... 
uh, a guy like Dakota Hudson around, I, I kind of wonder if he might be the guy, the, the go-to guy. So in five years, we're we're not considering Goldie and Arenado in this combo. No, we're talking he, about the next wave. And, and I'm talking about like the guy that is the spokesman, the guy that's organizing charity events like Adam does. Yes. He could certainly do it. He is not only a very productive player who you hope is going to be around for a long time, but he's already very involved at Big League Mm -hmm. Impact. He and his wife do a lot for the education system here in St. Louis. And he's just a a really nice guy, and he's very poised. He he is very good in interviews and seems very motivated to want to do great things for the community. So I could totally see him doing it. I could also see a guy like Harrison Bader doing it. Yeah, definitely. Who, as we talked about earlier, is a guy that I think does things right and really appreciates St. Louis and is constantly looking for ways to get involved into the community. I could see both of those guys being kind of the faces of what the Cardinals are trying to do from not only an organizational standpoint, but from a charity standpoint. And many thousands of dollars raised over the last couple of weeks by Adam and Big League Impact. First with their trivia night a week ago Friday, and then last night they have uh, done great things, not only for St. Louis, but for the world. It was really cool. Last night you and I were standing there chatting with Albert Pujols for a little bit. And we see it when we watch the games. He just has this ease about him that did not exist before. And it's so cool to witness Mm -hmm. that this guy who is one of the singular greatest athletes we've ever seen, not only got to come back to St. Louis and really finish out his story the way that he wanted to and have this great reunion with his his team, this organization, and the city. But in chatting with him last night, just just getting him to say, yeah, you know, it's kind of cool for me to watch these young guys mm-hmm. step up and absorb a lot of the pressure and that I get to watch them go out there and perform every day. And he's totally embraced this different role, and it's just really cool to see him in this chapter of his career. It's a great sports story. Thank goodness that he wound up back here to end his career and not in Colorado. Uh, Think about how many times we talked about this. Think about how many debates Mm -hmm. over the past 10 years that have existed in every corner of Cardinal Nation about whether he should come back or not. And for all of the great points that were made about why it might not be a good idea, I'm so glad that the Cardinals didn't listen to any of those and that they brought him back. I'm with you. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. That's today's Fresh Take. Coming up, it's Dad's Week, and we're going to talk to the dad of one of the premier athletes in St. Louis, Ryan O'Reilly's dad, Brian O'Reilly, joins us next on Character and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's a celebration for all sports fans and especially dads. Are you going to sing a song or something or can I just go back to work? Anything for you, Dad. I'm here with my dad and he wants me to sing him a song. So I'm here now, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. Wow. That was weird. Celebrating your dad and what dads mean to sports. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN, your home of the blues in St. Louis, Missouri. And as it is Dad's Week, we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and Blues Captain Ryan O'Reilly's dad, Brian O'Reilly, joins us. Brian, it is great to have you with us. Happy Father's Day week. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. We always... Uh, Go ahead. No, no. 
No, you go ahead. <laughs> uh, I wanted to say we always enjoy having you on, and I wanted to know uh, about the pride that you must feel, not only in the fact that, and we've talked before about what a, a great man Ryan O'Reilly is and what a great athlete he is, but especially because you are involved in sports psychology, it's not easy to be a leader of men. And Ryan O'Reilly is, in addition to all the other things, he's a great leader of men too. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would say he's a pretty good guy. <laughs> I love him to death. He's, he's, he's an awesome person, and that's the main thing. Brian, one of the things that we know about your son is that he has an unrelenting work ethic. He's always the first guy on the ice and the last one off of that. Where did he get that? Is that something that he always had as a kid? Uh, yeah, well, I think it started when... Um, I was training when they were uh, very young. I was training high performance athletes up in my shed. Um, they would come from Europe and, uh, and cause of the specialized kind of training that I did body, mind and spirit kind of thing. Um, and my kids saw these athletes working hard, puking in a bucket, getting back up, doing another set. And, um, they just thought that was normal. <laughs> like that's what training is. <laughs> and, you know, you work yourself to the point of uh, you just can't do anymore and you got nothing left in the tank. And then you see these athletes collapse on the ground in exhaustion with a smile on their face. And uh, I think, uh, you know, the boys, the girls, they picked it up from that. They, you know, just see it. And, you, you know, whatever environment you kind of provide, for kids, like uh, that's natural, you know. It just becomes what they do. Brian, give us a visual of the shed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it you know it's kind of like an old. Uh, it was an old barn. Um, it had the aluminum siding on the whole of the out the outside, and we just lived outside of a very small town uh, in southwestern Ontario called Brucefield, and. Um, the shed was just, you know, it had a, you know, you walk in the, the door and there'd be just, you know, things set up everywhere to do a circuit. And then we had an upstairs where there was a balance beams and porta pit mats and hockey nets and uh, places to shoot pucks and all the windows are all <laughs> boarded up because they've all been smashed out by puck so <laughs> it sounds legendary I just, re- I just stopped replacing them you know that's probably a good move brian but it sounds like a legendary yeah. spot i really just had the good vision in my mind so as you as uh randy mentioned you are a high performance coach you talked about connecting the mind body and spirit with the work that you do how did you get into that yeah. Oh, geez. Well, I was raised in a very uh, tumultuous uh, family, a lot of alcohol and drugs. And um, I was the youngest and I just couldn't go that route. And I made a commitment (laughs) to myself that I was going to do something that was going to, I think, do or go against the harm that the people in my family had done. And they, I just remember from a young kid saying, like, I'm never going to beat my wife. I'm never, I'm never going to do drugs, alcohol, or get in trouble with police. Uh, I just said, screw it. I'm me. I'm not that. 
I can be my own person. I can make my own choices and my choices will determine what I do. And I'm going to do some good in this world. And, and I remember feeling that from, you know, uh, about 11 or 12 years old. And once I had that kind of sorted out, I would say everything else just unfolded. And I went to school, like I w- I'm also dyslexic. I only could read and write still to this day about grade three, grade four. And it was a teacher um, way back in high school um, who said to me, you're going to university. I know you can't read. I know you can't write, but there are programs for, you know, uh, people like you. You can apply as a mature student. So I felt that push. So I ended up going into social work. Uh, and I was also, you know, a very good athlete. My, my whole life in school was two things. Girls. <laughs> I, I, I would do anything, anything to be connected to a girl that I, you know, liked. Uh, and, and, I, and, and I was testing myself out there because I didn't want to do what I saw. So I was very, very kind to women um, and had formed great relationships, which the women kind of in my life, I think, stabilized me, which allowed me to really focus on academics. Um, I was put in a very special program in university, got to do all my essays on tape. All my books were put on tape for me. I graduated in social work. I started coaching uh, at university uh, because they didn't have a coach for volleyball. And I didn't know a lot about volleyball, knew some, but I then went to courses. I just started coaching. And this whole process, uh, I was coaching in, uh, in high school as well because we didn't have a coach. I coached two sports in high school because uh, we didn't have a teacher. And just through creating relationships, it just expanded into this whole field. And then other people wanted to train with me. And then my kind of name got out and, you know, we always, this guy's doing really different things and he really works hard and, and it just blossomed out of that. And then I, I just said, look, it's, it's all about your mental resilience. And to this day, I struggle with my own mental resilience um, because I think of the background, but, it's good to struggle. Like there's nothing wrong with, you know, having to look in the mirror every day and see that, you know what, I'm either going to do something that's going to pull me towards people or do something that's going to push me away. And I, so far in my life, I hope I keep choosing to pull people to, you know, towards me or move towards them. And, and that's kind of, how it all just blossomed. I, I, it's a, a very strange thing. Ryan, I still don't understand it. <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly's dad, Brian O'Reilly, with us on 101 ESPN. And, and Brian, I, I like that term, mental resilience. And that's one when we watch your son play or when we go out to practice and we watch him work before and after practice. That's a, one thing that Ryan has a lot of is mental resilience, isn't it? Yes, I would say he has a lot of that. From a very, very young age, he's seen, I think, um, when I was working with these athletes, I would never evaluate the athlete. I would always get them to evaluate their own performance and use their own evaluation of themselves as the guidepost. And I think, you know, Snook, that's what he's about. That's what Cal's about. 
when things are going down, they, they self-evaluate and they look, okay, what do I need to do to get better? Forget about the fact that I suck at this and suck at that. I got to do something about unsucking. <laughs> and, you know, you map a plan out inside yourself and you do it. And that's the only way. Like, I, I always laugh at all these sports people, these sports psychologists, they talk, you know, endlessly about confidence. And, you know, you read these, some of these books people have told me about that, you know, great athletes have, and they talk about confidence. I think that's all a bunch of BS. But you know what? When you do the hard work, when you bust your butt, nobody can take that away from you. Nobody. You will have all the confidence in the world because you know you've done the work. And to me, it's that simple. Did you refer to Ryan as Snook? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we, we raised quite a few foster kids, and there was always a couple Ryans because we were a long-term uh, placement with uh, taking in foster kids. So my mom uh, used to uh, always call him, uh, his, her pet name for him was Snook because he was always into everything and always causing kind of, you know, chaos and trouble uh, wherever he went in terms of his energy because he just could not sit still. And uh, he's like his old man. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so she named him Snook, and then that name just stuck. And, like, even his teachers at, at, at primary school called him Snook. In high school, they all called him Snook. We, like, it's so funny when I hear the word Ryan O'Reilly, I always go, <laughs> Who are they talking about? <laughs> okay, this is good knowledge for us. This is very important, Snook, Brian. Thank I you love very it, much. Brian. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, listening to you talk about the importance of hard work and the way you outlined that, I was getting motivated just listening to you. You were firing me up just talking about how important hard work is. And you obviously have a great relationship at, uh, with your son as a father, but also as a performance coach, you're such a great resource for him as well. So tell us what it's like for you to work with your son from that aspect. Is there um, a motivational saying or something that you give to him pregame? How do you blend those two things together? Well, I think it's, it, I think it is a blend. Um, I'm his dad and I love him regardless of what he does. Um, I, I don't identify with his success. Like to me, that's another thing that you have to keep in mind as a coach that you coach the human being, you don't coach the athlete. And you know, I do a lot of, you know, speaking, work with a lot of different... I'm actually going to be doing something in St. Louis. Joe Vitale is going to set it up. Um, I'm going to come and speak in St. Louis. But it's just about that. It's how do you coach an athlete, put the relationship first, create an environment for self-evaluation, and then really, like, really focus on their ability to self-evaluate and maintain the relationship so that at the end of it all, you don't have a champion and then a broken life. You know, you gotta, you know, the sport is a vehicle for your inner transformation to wholeness as a person. And I think athletes that are now getting into that are these athletes who go above and beyond the call of duty. And the best example I can give you is for myself as a dad is, yeah, my son won, you know, the Stanley Cup. That's freaking awesome. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so proud of that. But I'm most proud of when he was in Boston 
and he was in a music store and saw some kid playing a guitar and he could tell something about the kid was in awe about the guitar. And he walks up to the kid and says, Hey, how do you like that guitar? What do you think about it? And the kid said something. And right away, my son knew there's an opportunity for this human being. And he bought him the guitar, no strings attached, nothing, just bought him it. That was my Stanley cup moment Hmm. that in the heart of pressure, you're a human being. That to me is what total being a total athlete is all about. And, uh, and I, you know, and and that's just me and could call me wacky crazy, but I I really believe athletes can stop wars. I really believe athletes are the bridge to it being one world, one planet. And if we all listen to the lessons in sport and get to the deeper side of sport, sport would be a vehicle that would transform the world. That's a great story, Brian. I love that. Um, and you've raised, raised such a great son that's made an impact on so many people and obviously has a great heart. Um, Brian, tell me how Ryan is as a dad. You know, we hear the stories. He had to leave his newborn son when he had to go to the bubble during the pandemic. We, of course, know about the birth of his baby girl during the playoffs this year. We hear a lot about Ryan as a dad uh, kind of from the outside. But tell us what it's like on the inside. Well, as a dad, I think, you know, uh, more importantly, I think you start off with he loves his wife. And I think the best thing you can give your children is adoring your wife and holding her up and putting her on the pedestal because she is the cornerstone of your life. And I think he does a great job at that. Um, I think his uniqueness as a dad is he really tries to make things fun with his kids. And, you know, Dana's a very good athlete. He's a very good athlete. And you can see this talent in these kids already by their ability to crack a golf ball or, or, you know, just out there, I come on, when I go down to their place, I love doing a lot of little tests that they don't know I'm testing, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm seeing where they're at and they're already bl- blowing me away. Well, what he's doing as a dad is he's making it fun and doing all the fun things and letting uh, I, there was an incident with his son who he was on the sports pad with and, and we were, um, I don't know, they were, you know, swinging a hockey stick and, you know, passing it around. And, and then the kid drops the stick and picks up a baseball uh, bat. And now he's throwing balls at him. Then he's throwing that bat down, picking up the pickleball. And now they're hitting pickleball. Like, no judgment, no role with the child. Let the child determine what they want to do when they want to do it. And I see him doing that as a dad. And that's something here I think that my beautiful wife, Bonnie, and I have always tried to create for environments, an environment free of all judgment and criticism and let the kids flower naturally, let their talents come out, whatever it is, singing, dance, sport, like you just, you just grow those. And, and he's amazing at it. And Dana's amazing at it. Like, you know, they're very good parents because they work with where the kid's at, not where they want the kid to be at. 
Brian O'Reilly, we're getting such a great response to uh, this interview. People really enjoy hearing from you. We enjoy talking to you. Thanks so much for the the information, the the words, and for sharing your son with St. Louis. And have a great Father's Day. Yeah, thanks. If anyone wants little messages I give, I'm on Twitter. It's CoachBry1 uh, at Twitter, the number one. And my website is Human Potential Plus. and yeah, if that people want, I have articles on there that they can read if they're interested and it's free. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm sure that a lot of people listening will, will want to go check it out. Coach Bry one. Thank you, sir. And have a great day. Thank you. See you. Take care. Brian O'Reilly, Ryan O'Reilly's dad on dad's week here on character and Smallman. I just gave him a follow. Great information. Gosh, what a motivating guy. Yeah. And the, you, the texts, and thank you very much for the texts. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pumped for the day. Uh, another one from the 314. I love my father to death, and he was a great man, but Mr. O'Reilly is an inspiration and makes me feel inspired to make my life better. Uh, getting chills listening to Ryan's dad talk. Wow. So uh, we appreciate your response. Listening to him talk about hard work and about work ethic. Can't you just in your mind picture Ryan O'Reilly? Oh, totally putting in the late hours that when we go to Centene, sometimes he's there training, no matter what time it, uh, of day it is, what time of year it is, he's always putting in the work to make himself better. And after speaking with his dad, you can see where he gets it. Absolutely. We've got a quick fight coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the on character and small men in the red corner average joe listener and in the blue corner the undisputed king of morning drive please welcome randy character it's time for the monday edition of the fight on character and Smallman. let's Go to the phone lines. Josh is ready to take on Randy here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Josh. How are you? Good morning, Michelle. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Are you ready to take on Randy? As ready as I can be. Josh, we're a little tired. We were out late last night at Adam Wainwright swinging for impact for Big League Impact at Top Golf. So maybe you have a chance. Maybe Randy's a little groggy today. I feel a bit groggy too, but I'll, I'll hope that's the case. <laughs> it's who's less groggy today. It's a battle of grogginess between Josh and Randy. All right, Josh, good luck to you. Thanks. All right, question number one. Three Cardinals have scored more than 125 runs in a season since 2000. Jim Edmonds did it in 2000. Albert Pujols did it from 03 to 05. And who else? Is it Scott Rowland, Alan Craig, or Matt Carpenter? Um, I'm going to go with Matty Carp out of the leadoff spot back in the day. Albert Pujols' last top two MVP finish was in 2010. Which NL Central beat NL Central player beat him out for the MVP honor that year? Was that Ryan Braun, Joey Votto, or Chris Bryant? I was thinking Votto, so I'm just going to go with Votto. I think you'll know this one, Josh. And the four wins for the 2019 Stanley Cup, the game-winning goals were scored by Ryan O'Reilly, Alex Petrangelo, David Perron, and who else? Was it Joel Edmondson, Vladimir Tarasenko, or Carl Gunnarsson? Well, that's got to be Gunnarsson. <laughs> we kind of remember that one. <laughs> the Blues allowed 19 goals during the final. 
How many were Jake respond? Yeah, excuse me, I cannot talk today. How many were Jake respond? No, I cannot talk. How many? You was want me to Jake tag in? Al- How many was Jake Allen responsible for? The Blues allowed 19 goals during the final. How many was Jake Allen responsible for? Zero, one, or two? Oh, I'm trying to think if he came in at any point. Um, I'll go with. Let's go with one. You're not that groggy, Josh. Just telling you. You're sharper than you gave yourself credit for. You did very well. Randy, trotting in. As you get your headset on, Randy, please say good morning to Josh. Josh, good morning. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing good, Randy. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Of course. Are you ready, sir? Ready. Three Cardinals have scored more than 125 runs in a season since 2000. Jim Edmonds did it in 2000. Albert Pujols did it 03 through 05. And who else? Hmm. Since 2000, three Cardinals have scored 125 or more in a season. Edmonds, Albert, and I guess you got to be on base a lot generally. I think I'll go with uh, Marp. Albert Pujols' last top two MVP finish was in 2010. Which NL Central player beat him out for the NL MVP honors that year? 2010. Um, I don't know if it was after, but I think I'm going to go with Joey Votto. Randy, in the four wins for the 2019 Stanley Cup, the game-winning goals were scored by Ryan O'Reilly, Alex Petrangelo, David Perron, and who else? Um, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Petro. Um, Riley Perron, Petro. I guess I'll go Vladdy. The Blues allowed 19 goals during the final. How many was Jake Allen responsible for? Um, I don't know if uh, Binner had allowed four or five. I'm going to say two of them. I told Josh that we were out late last night and you might be a little groggy. Mm-hmm. He said he was also groggy today. So mm-hmm. it's a battle of grogginess on battle a Monday morning. Who was less groggy? Was it Randy? Who was exerting himself a lot last night, hitting bombs at Top Golf? Mm-hmm. Even Ryan Helsley was impressed. Really? Oh, he was like, wow, Randy. He can really hit him. I was like, yeah, he's really good. Was it Randy or was it Josh? Ring the bell. The winner and new champion of the fight. Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair. Home of the non-commission-based sales force and hassle-free warranty. Josh, congratulations. Not only did you beat Randy, you got all four correct. You got a jack. You got all four correct. You beat Randy four to two. I feel like I'm giving a little signature Randy fist pump in my in my apartment right there now. There you go. Nice. You know what I'm doing, Josh? Just win, baby. That's for you. <laughs> Just win, baby. <laughs> Randy, what a good sport you are. All right, three Cardinals have scored more than 125 runs in a season since 2000. Jim Edmonds, Albert Pujols, and it was Marp who did it in 2013, Matt Carpenter. Albert Pujols' last top two MVP finish was in 2010. Joey Votto beat him out for the honor that year. 
And the four wins for the 2019 Stanley Cup, the four wins for the Blues, the game-winning goals were scored by Ryan O'Reilly, Alex Petrangelo, David Perron, and Carl Gunnarsson. Oh, Gunner. Who for, who could forget that? Me. Boom, boom, Gunnarsson. Yeah. Boom, boom, Gunnarsson. The Blues allowed 19 goals during the Stanley Cup final. How many was Jake Allen responsible for? That would be all of one. One. One goal that he was responsible for. Josh, great work. Congratulations. And we're going to talk to you tomorrow. You're going to come back to defend your title. Sorry, your your yeah. mic was off, Josh. Say that again. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Randy, I'll, uh, I'll see you tomorrow. You bet, Josh. Thank you very much. Josh with us on 101 ESPN. That's the fight. Coming up next, we're going to get to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Danny Mack, the voice of the Cardinals on Bally Sports, joins us here with Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy and the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Danny Mack is standing by. Danny does so many great things for the St. Louis community as a St. Louis and through and through and was at the Swing for Impact event last night over at Top Golf for Adam Wainwright's foundation. And Dan, I wanted to start this morning by saying good morning and great work last night. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. And, and thanks to uh, you guys being there. And thanks to Adam and all the players to come out and, uh, and truly make a difference. I, I've seen it firsthand, what he's doing. And it's, uh, it's amazing. And uh, it's not just here in St. Louis, but really it is worldwide. But the uh, effect that he's had, a tremendous effect on so many kids um, to, to provide food. You know, kids that are going hungry that uh, he's putting food in their bellies. So it's pretty amazing what he's doing here in town. It really is, Dan. And, and one thing you touched upon last night was Oliver Marmol being there and the job that he's done thus far with the Cardinals. We saw this weekend that he removed Harrison Bader from the game after not hustling to his full capabilities. I thought that was an interesting message that he was sending. But I, I just want to hear from you. What do you think about the job that Ollie's done so far for the Cardinals in his rookie season? Well, I think he's been really good, and I think this weekend was a probably a public example of uh, what he is expecting from his players, which is, uh, you know, you got to put out the effort. And and believe me, the the Harrison Bader thing um, is, I, I think, publicly it, it really catches your attention, and it caught Harrison's attention too, and he handled it like a complete pro, and so did Ollie. But um, to the greater point is that behind the scenes, he's very direct with his players. And so there's a lot of things that, that maybe the fans and even media don't hear about, but he'll just say, look, you know, you, you're, this is the expectation. I manage or I'm, I'm paid to win games, and that's what I'm going to try to do and do it to the best of my ability. And you're paid to hit or you're paid to run or you're paid to throw or whatever the case may be, and you do it to the best of your ability. And really, that's the expectation. And he's very direct about that and honest with players. So his honesty is what I believe players want. They may not always want to hear it and how it comes out and how it's presented to them. However, if a manager or a coach is honest, I think that's what professional athletes want. I really do. And that's what he does. And he's put guys in positions to win. And let's face it, I think their bullpen has been a little shorthanded at times this year, but he's found a way to navigate through it, especially on this most recent road trip. It wasn't easy um, coming out of five games in four days in Chicago, which is always – it just wears you out. It's just a tough place to play. And uh, got through that. They had the tough series with Tampa. Could have won two out of three. Instead, they get swept, and then they take two out of three this weekend. 
And I talked to Ali for a long time last night. He was sitting at our bay, and I had my son and two of his buddies there who were more worried about trying to win the event instead of <laughs> meeting players. But that's what you get out of you know thirteen year old kids. So it was kind of fun. But anyway, Ali sat there and was we were talking about that and. Um, and just hey, he he really wanted to win yesterday. He said, "Man, we got to win that game. That's one we got to win." And uh, that's the way he is, man. So I I just you know to answer your question, kind of long winded here, Michelle. He's he's just direct. He's honest, and I think he's really good at what he does. And and I I think we're in in store for a really fun summer. I do think that. And Dan fans will like hearing that uh, what you just said. And I I said to Ali, I said, man, you just keep winning two out of three, two out of three, two out of three. He said, well, three out of three would be nice. And so <laughs> yeah. those of us that have always because Tony was always about the series, right? Not right. that Tony disliked winning uh, sweeping a series, but Tony was always happy to to win a series. It doesn't seem to me like Ali is satisfied with just winning a series you know it really took me back randy we were in pittsburgh and they had a situation like this i think it was in pittsburgh guys but um he said he was going to treat the the game like um uh you know game seven of the world series on a sunday afternoon i'm like what he's like yeah he goes this is where you you know you build up these wins and then all of a sudden you look back on your season in september when guys are run down and maybe you're struggling or whatever, and you picked up that win in April or May, and you say, man, that felt really good, and it's helping us now. So th- those are the kind of games that he really wants. And I, I think from the the standpoint of just looking at the ball game yesterday, they got into the Reds' bullpen. And that, that to me, was the whole key to the series. Because the Reds, the three guys that they threw at the Cardinals were really good. Um, Castillo was great on Friday. You looked at Hunter Green on on Saturday, and that kid is going to be just awesome before it's all said and done. And then yesterday uh, was Ashcraft, and he's been throwing really, really well. So the key was just getting into the bullpen. And if you get into the bullpen, you probably would have a chance to win. And they did. They came, you know, they were very close. But the Oviedo home run allowed in the eighth came back to haunt them. Uh, Hudson had a couple of walks that came around to score. He had a little just the one inning where his, his control wasn't all that great, and it came back to cost him. But uh, certainly that's one that you, you wish you would have won and, and gotten the sweep, but it didn't happen. And now uh, you got a Pittsburgh team coming in that's reeling as well. So you got to take care of business starting tonight. Hey, Dan, I want to come back to communication with players because I have reached the opinion, and I want to see if you share this opinion, that it really has become the most important aspect of managing with, with the way the players are now, getting them to play hard and communicating with them is more important than the X's and O's because bullpen management is taken care of before the game ever starts. You don't have to worry about pinch hitting because you've got the DH. The, the, X's and O's of baseball are pretty much delineated for every manager now. So I think the best managers are going to be the guys that A, lead, and B, communicate well with their players and get the most out of them. So uh, I would say this, Randy, that uh, if you're going to be a good manager, you got to do the X and O's, but you got to have the Jimmy and Joe's. Yep. So, yeah. You know, meaning you got to have the players, right? And so um, I- I'm with you. I think the bullpen management, though, is. The, the really the hard part for the job from like being in between the white lines. So from that aspect of it, bullpen management is really tough because you're trying to win the now, you're trying to win that game, but then you're also thinking ahead. And so you, you saw a lot of that going on this last, uh, this last week, especially in Chicago with how they were able to navigate through covering innings and trying to keep guys fresh going into Tampa. 
And I would say probably the same thing is going to happen now with Zach Thompson going tonight mm-hmm. first the major league start, and then you're going to have Libertor going um, in game one tomorrow in the heat of the day. Um, so that part of it is the tough part. I, I also think with a manager, you're right, 100%. The communication of just being open and honest with your players, having that free dialogue to go back and forth is very, very important. Um, the office, the front office uh, relationship with the manager has got to be good now because of many of the things that you said and so many things are being uh, given to them from an analytical standpoint of, okay, here's probabilities, here's uh, matchups, here's what the spin rate tells you, this guy's not great with this spin. I mean, all those things are there. Um, but ultimately, it, it does come down to what we always talk about in life and business and family, whatever, friendships. Communication, you know, and being trying to be open and honest with those that you're trying to lead. And again, I, I think that Ollie does a really good job with that. Really good job. Uh, Dan, it's Dad's Week here on 101 ESPN, and you wear a lot of hats. You're the Cardinals broadcaster. You're an MC, like we saw last night. But one of my favorite things about you, Dan, is when you used to come in and do the show with Randy and I on Thursday and Friday, <laughs> you always had stories about your kids. You would come in and you'd just be like, it's a gong show at all, <laughs> at all times. And uh, one of the hats you wear best is that of Dad. So I know you have a lot going on, Dan, but uh, just how do you balance being a dad of four, having all these animals at your house, and being the Cardinals <laughs> broadcaster? I just, I'm in awe of how how you balance it well i have a great wife and <laughs> she's amazing i mean I, i'm telling you she's i don't know how she keeps it all together um ollie and i were actually talking about that last night he's like man it's great you know you brought your little guy out here i said yeah i just don't see him enough and it's uh part of the job i mean we i we call this a job right what i do i this is all i ever wanted to do i love what i do i don't really consider it a job and i really truly believe that i mean i'm i'm so blessed to do this but if you had to take an aspect of it that is kind of tough, it's being away from your kids. And especially at this time in their lives, um, when they're really act. I have very active kids and that play sports and stuff like that, and I miss a lot. And so my wife is able to somehow balance it. For instance, she got on a plane this morning at, at 4 o'clock and took my one daughter to a tournament somewhere in the country. I don't know where they're going. <laughs> and um, I have to go to a swim thing today at 11, and I got another guy going to do something else, I think soccer practice or something, and then I don't know what the other one's doing. So we'll figure it out, but um, <laughs> I, I try to balance it, and it makes it fun, makes life fun, and um, I'm just, I'm very lucky. I got four healthy kids, and that's, you know what, at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for. Absolutely. Dan, can't wait for tonight's opener. By the way, Pittsburgh at minus 91 has the worst run differential in all of baseball. So this is one, again, where the Cardinals, they just have to do their business, take care of their business, and they'll be fine. Yeah, and they've got a couple of good players. I mean, I I, I love uh, Reynolds. He, uh, I think he had 10 hits over the weekend in their series. And then I love Key Brian Hayes. He's a great mm-hmm. defensive player. What's really interesting, though, guys, is that I think I was looking this up. I think the Cardinals play in their final 72 games. So we're not that far away, but 13 times you're going to face the Reds. And then the final week, because of the lockout, you're going to face the Pirates, I believe, six or seven times of the final games. What are those two teams going to look like after the trade deadline? I mean, they, they've got some chips to, to get rid of that other teams, I think, would covet. And they clearly, both teams are in a rebuild. But what are they going to look like towards the end of this season when the Cardinals, you know, are looking to pile up wins and try to hopefully advance a lead in the, the Central Division or wherever they're at but get into postseason play? 
it really is something to think about because opinions matter time now for today's big thing with character and smallman on 101 espn brought to you by seiden stricker noby john deere find them online at snpartners.com That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, and it is Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Time for today's big thing. And Michelle, one of the great things about this weekend, the Cardinals did take two out of three, but they also got to protect their bullpen. The bullpen only had to get six outs yesterday. It only had to get six outs on Saturday. Andre Pallante started off the series by going five and a third, and the Cardinals' bullpen had to get 11 outs. But to go through a weekend and only have to get 23 outs from your bullpen is exceptional, especially when you have four games in three days coming up against the Pirates. Now, hopefully the Pirates' offense isn't that great. As we mentioned, their minus 91 run differential is the worst in Major League Baseball. But the Cardinals, and here we are, we're past Memorial Day, and it's amazing how it works for good teams. The Cardinals starting pitching, such as it is, because the back end isn't what it's going to be. Right. But it has kicked in. When you look at what Miles Michaelis has done, Dakota Hudson has done, Adam Wainwright has done, they're all delivering innings now. Yeah, Dakota going seven innings yesterday is huge. Adam Wainwright continuously giving the Cardinals innings. And Miles Michaelis, as you mentioned, is great. Also, the versatility that Ali Marmol has with some of these guys, that he can use them in different roles and that he can lengthen them out Um for certain spots when need be has been great because, gosh, what was it, two weeks ago, Randy, that we were wondering how the Cardinals were going to find enough arms to cover these innings? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so Ali Marmaro's done a good job, but kudos to the versatility of this Cardinal staff. He's been able to mix and match and, and uh, get it done, and it seems like Jack Flaherty's on the horizon. Now, I want to get your opinion about this because apparently, well, he is definitely going to make at least one more rehab start and maybe more through 59 pitches on Friday. So he would be up to 75 for his next start mm-hmm. and then after Wednesday. that, 90. So uh, would you start him for the Cardinals in his next start or would you, knowing what we, and we don't know everything, but would you, if you knew it was 75 pitches, would you rather have 75 pitches of Jack Flaherty in St. Louis or at the minor league level? After Wednesday? Because yeah. he's getting 75 on his next rehab but start would, on Wednesday? If he, Would you start him here in St. Louis on Wednesday? No, I'd give him one more. I think I would too. Even though he says this is the best that he's felt in three years, and I don't think he would just say that. I mean, I know athletes do at times, but it, it seems like what we're seeing out of him mm-hmm. matches up with the words. I would give him one more and monitor how he feels just because I don't want to rush it back. I, the last thing that you want to do is have him come back and then have any sort of a regression from a health standpoint. Right. So I'd give him one more, 75 pitches, see not only what he does in that outing, but how his body responds after, and then I'd mm-hmm. give him the shot. Two things. Number one, I was inter- listening to an interview with Astros GM James Click yesterday, and he was talking about Justin Verlander rebounding not only from the Tommy John, but Verlander had leg issues and also an oblique. Mm -hmm. And Verlander took all of last year not only to rehab the elbow, but to rehab his entire body. And he's kicking butt right now. He's the old Justin Verlander at the age of 38. And I'm that's just the DNA of of Jack Flaherty, isn't it? But that he's gonna be as good as he can get by the time he comes back. The other thing is with Steven Matt suffering a setback, Packy. Let's be honest, he, he left something to be desired in, in the innings department. 
But Palante, given the Cardinals five and a third, and has a history of starting. I wonder if we get to September one, and the Cardinal rotation is Flaherty, Wainwright, Michaelis, Hudson, Palante. I could see it. I could too. Say that again. Flaherty, Wainwright, Michaelis, Hudson, Palante. Yeah. I could definitely with, see with it. With Matt's on the shelf because he, he suffered another setback. and it, It's a shoulder, and that's always a concern. And I don't think Packy is going to be there as, and, a, as a starter. And you said by what date? September 1. The only thing that I would throw in there. Mad bum. Is that the Cardinals make an acquisition at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And that Palante would not be in the mix because they've gone out and acquired somebody. Because... They have a chance to go for it, and they need mm-hmm. to be aggressive and very active at the deadline. And the first place I would start is pitching. Uh, I don't like the year because I've already got my deal made here for Mad Bum. Yeah, and Ian Kennedy. But I oh, can, great! Uh, Who are we giving up? Well, I haven't decided that, but we're, oh, okay. we're taking on the entire Mad Bum contract. Okay, got it. Got okay, it. so it's going to be a mid-level prospect. It's not going to be anybody that hurts. Sure. And by the, I mentioned during a break, the Cardinals are going to be absolutely loaded in a couple of years. When you look at the additions of Alec Burleson, who's playing outfield and doing great at Memphis, when you look at Jordan Walker, when you look at Mason Wynn, when you've got Zach Thompson and Libertor and Michael McCreevy on the horizon, uh, the Cardinals are just loaded with young players, and they'll be able to give up somebody that won't hurt them badly. But... Well, they do need to go for it this year. This is If ever there was a year in the last year of Yadier Molina and Albert Pools, this is the year to go for it, right? If not now, when? Right, exactly. So I'm willing to give up what it takes to get the best postseason pitcher of our generation, Mad Bum, along with a guy who can pitch in the sixth or seventh in Ian Kennedy, or if they have another guy that the Cardinals like better, I don't think Mark Melanson is the answer. I think we're okay with closer. I just want to have an enhanced bridge between the starter and the back two of Helsley and Gallegos. I like where your head's at, Randy. Um, And that's why I would give Flaherty one more start on Wednesday, Mm -hmm. the 15th, because you don't want to push him, but it's also very important to see what he is going to be for you before the trade deadline. I need to have him making at least a start before we get to that. We, before we arrive at that destination, if I'm in the front office so that we know what we're working with in the second half and how aggressive I need to be. What's the scope that we need to be going out there looking yep. for? Is it one guy? Is it two guys? Right. Because Jack Flaherty and his availability changes a lot of things. Right. And, one other quick note about Wednesday. Palante's going for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. So, why not? And it's against the Pirates. You don't there want to, you, you don't want to denigrate any other teams, but the reality of the situation is you probably don't need Flaherty to win that game. That is such a great point. The opposition matters. Yeah, and you're I, going against yeah. a team that you should beat regardless of who's on the mound. <laughs> that's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Don't know if I gave you the time, so I will. 914. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. You're killing me, Smalls. Coming your way next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store.
chase coming up at the bottom of the hour, but right now it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls! You remember last week, Randy, when we talked about Tony La Russa being under fire a little bit after the the head-scratching decision to intentionally walk Trey Turner when there was two strikes against him? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, people were not pleased with Tony. Well, over the weekend, Saturday to be exact... The White Sox lost to the Rangers 11-9 to in 10 innings. And the fans at Guaranteed Rate Field, they made their feelings known. Then the Rangers added one in the sixth, two in the seventh, and now two here in the tenth. And they have a lead late. You can hear the crowd, White Sox fans, chanting, fire, Tony, and the broadcasters. Thank you for the clapping, Randy. That was, that really added a little something there. Insane. Yeah, I appreciate that. Should we try, try it again? Yeah. Fire, fire, Tony. Tony. <laughs> Not condoning it, just no. repeating it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the broadcasters just allowing it Steve to happen. Stone and the production crew, because you could tell that they raised the, the level uh-huh. of the crowd, and Steve Stone let it lay out there, which tells me something about the way that the TV production crew feels about the situation. Yeah. Tony was asked about this after the game, and he said, I hear it with one ear, and I see it with one eye. I just know that I appreciate that they want us to win, and when we don't win, they're unhappy. Well, this is true. I just think that Tony is behind the eight ball. He has a lot of injuries. And the reality of the situation is, is that the one ism that nobody in America cares about is ageism. People have no problem attacking people for their age, and Tony has been since day one with the White Sox, and just because he's 77 years old and his moves don't always work out, he is going to be criticized for it as it being a product of him being old. And you know what? If you go back and you look at his reasoning with the Trey Turner move, it can be defended. And there's nothing he could do about his bullpen on Saturday. That that was just, he, those are the guys that he had to plug in, and it, it didn't work out. I don't think this is a reason. First of all, I, I don't think that he'll get fired because I think that Jerry Reinsdorf is incredibly loyal. But I don't think that this is a situation where Tony has a lot of control. I think it's kind of like the 2003 Cardinals with that bad bullpen that he had. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he has much of a chance here. But if the fans are already chanting Fire Tony now on, it was June 11th. They were chanting Fire Tony at least when he, at euphemistically. His in, at his introductory press exactly, conference. Yeah. At his introductory presser. <laughs> but I just imagine that at, throughout the season that this is something that's going to continue yeah, to happen. Yeah, unless they start winning. Unless they start getting players back and start winning. You're killing me, Smalls! Let's check in with another former Cardinal, Matt Carpenter. The Yankees absolutely stomped the Cubs 18-4. to I'm starting to think the Cubs are not that good. They're just not yeah, that good. The, I think there's a chance that they might not have a pennant winning season. Another reason why the Cardinals need to really go for it, Randy, as I picked something up that I dropped on the floor, picked, picked it up. Mm-hmm. Look at the state of the division. You need to feast on the Reds, the Pirates, and the Cubs. You really only have the Brewers to concern yourself with. You need to go for it this year because of the landscape of your division and because mm-hmm. of the landscape of the National League. You have an opportunity here. But anyway, in the Yankees, 
18 to 4 victory over the Cubs yesterday. Matt Carpenter, have yourself a day. He went three for four, two home runs, multi home run game. That's right. Seven RBI. He made franchise history with the Yankees, six plus home runs in his first 10 games. 27 days ago, 27 days ago, Matt Carpenter was in AAA. He had 176 in 2020 and 2021 combined. Talk about a comeback. I honestly thought he was done as dinner. And we said it here. We said, great guy. He just can't hit anymore. Well, clearly, he, at least in his initial couple of weeks as a member of the Yankees, he's proven me wrong. I didn't think he'd ever have a stretch like this again. So good on him and good for the Yankees for giving him an opportunity. And by the way, he went to the Rangers and said, look, it's not going to happen here, is it? And they said, no, it's not. So he he got his release, signed with the Yankees a couple days later. Here he is in the majors making an impact. I'm with you. I did not expect this from him, not because he didn't put in the work and not because we didn't watch him in every game with the Cardinals and understand that the shift killed him and and that he was very unlucky at certain times. Mm -hmm. There were so many moments when he was really close to getting it out and it didn't happen for him. But I just thought physically he might be at that stage of his career where it's hard to capture that magic again. It happens to everybody. Father time comes for everyone. But I knew Matt Carpenter was going to do everything possible to find himself again and that was well documented throughout the offseason. Just the lengths that he went to to remake his swing and change his approach and study the video. He even changed his bat. So I knew he would give it his best shot but I did not expect this from him and I'm just so thrilled to see him having success and just shout out to the mustache Mm-hmm. It's a great look on him. I think it's totally remade him. The mustache has some magic in it. Yeah, I wonder if there's any salsa involved with this at all. You know what? Good question. I'm going to say no, because the veggies came from Adam Wainwright's garden. Mm-hmm. And when you're in New York, how are you getting the veggies? I mean, I'm sure Wayno could overnight them, yeah, but those, I just don't know if that's like... fresh bodega veggies. You can get them, but it's just not the same. No, not as Wayno's garden, right? Totally. And if you're Matt Carpenter, do you really want to try to go down that road again? Probably not, no. Mm -mm, Probably not. You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, Randy, Zion Williamson, he didn't play a single second for the Pelicans this season. He was injured dealing with that broken foot, and a lot of people were wondering what his future would be with the Pelicans. He is trying to squash those rumors, though, that he wants out because a lot of people were speculating that he doesn't want to be there. He said over the weekend via ESPN, quote, I do want to be here. That's no secret. I feel like I've stood on that when I've spoken. It was a long year for me for rehab and mental battles. I'm fine now and I'm ready to get to work. Do you sense, Michelle, and by the way, Michelle Smallman was up in Bristol. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know the way that ESPN works. Obviously, Anthony Davis didn't want to be there in New Orleans. He wanted to be in a bigger market. I I wonder if the national outlets just assume that athletes don't want to be in places like New Orleans or Green Bay or St. Louis. Well, I think when he's not speaking on it, that leads Mm -hmm. to speculation. And did give some love to New York when he was up at Madison Square Garden. He did, which could be interpreted a lot of different Mm -hmm. ways. It's one of the most iconic venues in all of sports. And a lot of people, athlete or not, understand the reverence that comes in that building and the energy that comes in playing in that building. You can give love to somewhere else and it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't want to be where you are. Right. But when you're not speaking about it and you're not playing for your franchise, 
I think it's fair game for people to speculate. We did, and I thought he wanted to get out, and I'm still not convinced, despite his words. And this is because I've heard people like Russell Wilson go for a couple of years professing their love for a city and then quietly behind the scenes getting out of there. So it's hard for me to believe that Zion Williamson is all in on New Orleans. Yeah, I we'll hope see. He is. We'll see if he signs the next time, yeah, Jen. Right. Put your put your money literally where your mouth is. If you want to be there, it should be pretty easy for for them to figure it out. No doubt. No doubt. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. By the way, Tony missing Lance Lynn and Vince Velasquez, two of his starting pitchers. Plus, those are guys that are on the IL. Plus, Joe Kelly, Garrett Crochet, and Aaron Bummer, who are three of his key relievers. So he's missing five pitchers that are pretty important to what they're trying to do with the White Sox. So maybe that has something to do with their lack of success as well. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Kelly Chase joins us to relive three years ago in the Stanley Cup Championship here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A team that was in last place on January 3rd. The players on the bench are bouncing up. History will be made tonight in Boston. 15 seconds to go as Shen blocks a puck to the corner. 10 seconds remaining. Get up, St. Louis. Get on your feet. Raise them high. Five seconds to go, and the time winds down. They did it. It's over. The game is over. The series is over. The wait is over. And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history. That was three years ago last night, and three years ago right this minute, O.B. Clarks was buzzing <laughs> on, on Brentwood. We go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN, and uh, a guy who loves the Blues, loves St. Louis, and, and we love, Kelly Chase, joins us on 101 ESPN. Chaser, good morning. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Everything's great. Hey, when, the, when that all unfolded, when the Blues won and then they came home to O.B. Clarks, and that's another place that we you love, every hockey fan, every St. Louisan should love, but is it... Was the reaction to the cup what you had envisioned in all of your time here in St. Louis waiting for a cup? Oh, it was probably better uh, to see the sense of, I guess, relief almost in so many guys. It was so great. And um, it was interesting hearing Curbs' call. I just think he's the best. And I uh, I, I didn't go with the team. I, I ended up staying back. Uh, I, I have, you know, I was working a little bit in Nashville at the time, and I said, I'm going to drive my car when the game's on and listen to Curbs' call. I don't know if it was superstition or what it was. It was I felt like, like I don't want to, I don't know if I was in my head saying, I don't want to go and have the disappointment if they don't win or see the Boston fans or be pissed off because they're celebrating around us. I just think I, but I wanted, I listened to Curbs' call, and I came into St. Louis just as the, just as the game ended. And, it, and I stopped on the side of the road, and it was the most unbelievable setting at Bush Stadium. You know, I stopped right there and looked over the freeway, pulled my car over into a little area, and I looked over, and it was just honking, and vehicles gridlocked, and it was so great. And by the time I got to, of course, my bar, which is Hobie Clark's, uh, it was chaos. It was awesome. And I was there for the midnight news, uh, went down to the, met the guys down at the rink, was there and then I was there for the 6 a.m. news still and uh, it was awesome and, and I had my wife 
not said, hey, I have to jump in the shower and I lay down on the bed and slept the clock round, I would have been there for the next night too. But uh, I missed the party because I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. (laughs) Hey, Chaser, when you pulled over and when you heard the final call, what was your emotion like? Did you get misty eyed? Did, did you get a little? Did you hyperventilate at all? How did you react? Misty eyed. I was crying like a four year old. <laughs> okay. It was it, it was awesome. It was just like one of the greatest feelings. Uh, you know, it's I don't know. Like I can see where the fans get in, uh, embroiled in it, and they get you know the cup is something you just you you see it and you're enamored by it. It's like traveling with Elvis Presley, right? It's just. It's unbelievable the people and the, and what it gathers and the and the and the attention it grabs, but the relief of winning and I say relief because as a player you think you're always going to get another chance and when you don't and as you get older you're like holy man a lot of opportunities miss some good teams and so for those guys to get that monkey off the city's back and the sheer satisfaction for the fans of just what exactly it meant to them was unreal. Like it was unreal, and and watching how they reacted, and and um, I mean, we did a, we did a really cool thing. Um, we went around town. Uh, Steve Chapman said, "Look, you've been around a long time. You know all the places where this thing should go that we might not know. Let's go and take the camera crew and kind of hide them, and just put the cup down and get footage." And everyone knows Trevor Nickerson now. He just does an unbelievable job of, you know, gaining content for this team over the last little whiles and and uh the greatest part about it is is kerber created the job for trevor and knew that we needed our own content and trevor's taken the ball and ran with it over the last however many years but they have all this content now of all these great things that happen but just setting that cup down and watching it and watching what how people reacted i mean you know everything from putting it down at a gas station and having a bunch of car accidents fender benders just because people uh i mean we walked into trotteria marcella one of the best stories or examples I can see of that is uh, Jamie and Stevie Comrack were gracious enough. We said, well, whatever you do, don't tell anybody. Right. Um, and we, we just brought it in and set it down and people were just, I mean, the place was the back end of that restaurant. I'm loaded to the front end to the bar to see the cup and watching people's reactions. And then this older gentleman came in and, and he was standing there and he was just like, just the tears are just running down his face. So Panger was with me, and he hit me, and he goes, look at this. So I got up, and I walked over, and the guy was embarrassed, and he turned his back to me, and I said, sure, uh, I'm, it's pretty cool. And he goes, man, I, I, I look at this thing. I can't stop crying. And I said, it's pretty, it's pretty great. And he go, I go, I'm Kelly. He goes, I know who you are, son. And I said, well, I just, you want to get a picture? He goes, I just told you I was crying. I don't want a picture when I'm crying. I said, <laughs> I said well, I said, well, when you, when you want to get a picture, let's get a picture together of this. So. I'm pretty sure Trevor's got this on, on video, and and he said, the last time I saw this cup, Jacques Lemaire was walking it through the back entrance of the Montreal Canadiens locker room, and I was the usher at the locker room door, and I watched that thing go by me, and I never thought I'd see it again. Now, this gentleman was probably in his 70s, late 70s maybe, and the fact that he was an usher at the old arena when Montreal won, and he all of a sudden seen it again, the emotion was awesome, and just to, to see how he was reacting and what it meant to the city, was it was one of the best. I mean, it's maybe one of the best stories I've seen about the Cup. 
That's a great story, Chaser. I have goosebumps listening to you tell that. Unbelievable. Well, I want to go back to you driving back to St. Louis the night of Game 7 and listening to Kerber. You say you didn't know if it was superstition or what, but you just didn't know if you wanted to be there. And that made me think of the late, great Bobby Plager, who couldn't even watch sometimes because he was so nervous. He would just pace back and forth in the press box with that cup of coffee. What was it like for you to watch the games throughout the playoffs? Did you have any sort of routine or superstition as you would watch those games? Not really. Like, I mean, I, you know, he, I knew he was very nervous. I mean, I mean, coach me when we won in the minors, I could tell he, you know, anxiety with him was just like way through the roof, but he was so great about everything and how he, well, big guy, you know, give me a punch in the arm. I think we better get so-and-so going tonight. Well, big guy, what do you think? And then, you know, he walked out of there and always have his thought on what his, his opinion of what would happen would be. And, and he would, and he would go, you know, he'd have his emotion and, and yet, you know, it meant so much to him. That's the only actually, you know, staying back, even though, you know, I was, you know, I watched what happened, but my biggest regret was not going with them on that trip because of, you know, the, obviously, you know, Holly and, and Walt and Al and guys, the guys that went, Chop, I mean, uh, I mean, Chop was there, but Bernie, the guys that were there, you know, that got involved in that part of it, that's the one miss that I had, but, I tell you what, it was pretty impressive to see what happened in that city after they won. Chaser, a couple more things. Number one, uh, I think you told the story on the fast lane. I don't know if you've ever told it with Michelle and I, how your driver in the parade got lost. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to fathom anybody can get lost in a parade when you win a, you know, win a cup. But our driver, was he was awesome. He was an older gentleman, and we were on that 19, like a 1939 fire truck. And, uh, and, he, and he's got a big wooden steering wheel. And he's taking this thing, this this fire truck, and he's he's you know it's Armstrong steering, right? There's no power steering in it. And there's myself, Cavallini, Dunlop, Patey, and John Ham on this on this float, and Brownie, we're on, we're on this float. And uh, as we turn on Broadway, you know we got to go down one block, and the police whip around us in these golf carts with the lights on, kind of go through the crowd towards Bush Stadium, and all of a sudden. Our guy doesn't realize you make a left-hand turn down to the arch, and he goes with the, with the two police cars. He follows the two police golf carts off the parade route and down towards the Bush Stadium. Now, it's hard to get lost in a parade, okay? It was a million and a half people, and the poor old guy is like, he's rattled, right? So now he's backing up, just trying to get this truck turned around on the street on Broadway, and he's whipping it back and forth. It's like the Austin Powers movie, you know. It's going back and forth, back and forth. And finally, Larry Patey jumps off the back of the truck, goes and stands on the side of the fire truck, and he starts helping him with the steering because it's so hard to steer. He pops the clutch, runs into a group of people being hauled in another golf cart like an eight-passenger, and they get hung up on the bumper. And the guy's screaming, so now i got to jump off the truck and settle this guy down and tell him to relax. We get back onto the parade route, and the clutch and brakes are going on this truck because it's. And we come into the parade route hot, and we're yelling at people to get out of the road. We come in right in between the coaches and the players. He makes the turn, pays himself in, and we go down towards the arch. And we just literally roll down through by the players, by the float, by the fire trucks, into a wedding, okay? Into a wedding. It's out on the lawn, and we come to a stop, and we're all looking at each other, and we're howling because you can't make it up. Like you got lost in a parade route, and then you went through a wedding down at the arch, and you know we, this wedding party's coming out. And we're just kind of going right through them, 
and we come to a stop and nobody was hurt. <laughs> and uh, the next day, I think actually, I think somebody had the gentleman on ESPN the next day, but I had, it was one of the great, it was one of the great stories of that parade. We, we were just laughing. I told, uh, I told Ham, I said, you know, if this doesn't end up on Fallon or something, then you're not worth the shit because this is, this is a great story. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's an unbelievable story. I could, I'm just picturing the wedding party being like, wait, is that Kelly Chase? And, and John Hamm. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like they didn't know what was going on. There was a million people and they were kind of breaking away from the wedding or whatever. And we just, you know, I could see the groomsmen just kind of held up and they stopped walking across the street and went right through. And just glide out into the grass, and everyone got off the truck laughing. It's great. Unbelievable. Well, that, uh, Chaser, was, I think, the best party any of us have probably ever been to. Just the days following the Cup win were epic. But as you look back on that, who do you think was the MVP of, of that party? It, it could be a current player, former player, coach, whomever. Come on, you guys know who the MVP of the Stanley Cup party was. There's so many people it could be. That. Who do you think it was? No, there's only one person, Randy. Come on. We win blues. There's nobody that... There's nobody that touched Brett Hall as far as partying in it. You guys know for a fact that there was nobody that even come close to touching it. I thought he was he ran away with first place at the party. Would you put Pat Maroon in that combo, or do you think Holly just not even close? Pat Maroon couldn't carry Holly's bag to the rink when it come to partying. Yeah, he's no, he's he's secretariat in the Belmont. Holly is thirty-one links ahead of everybody <laughs> yeah, else. No way. The greatest part about that when he was going up, they they, they didn't want to let him up on the stage, right? But Army, I think, said like, just like, let's keep him off the stage right now, or not. We're not going to let him speak right now. He's pretty banged up, and he just walked. And so he tells the cops. Two seconds later, after I get off, Holly's walking by. <laughs> he goes by me. He goes, but police are both going. Hey, hey, Brett. I, hey, Holly. They just let him go. and never said a word. He went out, grabbed the microphone from Curbs, did his thing, and I'm a how, I'm laughing. I'm dying, right? Army goes, somebody's got to get him off stage. I'm like, get his wife, because I'm not going up there. Because the only thing that's going to be worse than him singing up there is me wrestling with him on national TV to get him off the stage up there. That would be worse. So I just was laughing. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> it was. Hey, Chaser, one last thing before we let you go. Let's move to current times. How about Pat Maroon? Four, uh, four straight Stanley Cup finals now. I love it. I love it. I hope he wins because it'll just add to the allure of, of, of him and, and what he's done and what he's accomplished as a player. I mean, it's great. It's one thing. I mean, we talk about it and we joke about it a little bit with him, but the fact that he's playing his fourth Stanley Cup in a row is unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I mean, truly, you just, you just, you know, you know, you think, well, those are reserved for the, you know, the Montreal Canadiens greats and Hall of Famers or the, or the Islanders or the Oilers. But the fact in a modern era, a guy can play in four Stanley Cups, the finals, uh, and win possibly. Like, Corey Perry's been in the last three, and he hasn't won one. Yeah, I mean, he's won in Anaheim, but he hasn't won in the last three. But to win on top of it all, I mean, they're going to have their hands full with Colorado. We all know that. But it's so great for him. And, I'm, I mean, I love the kid. And, I'm, I mean, obviously, been around from the start. So I kind of know where it's, you know, where he's came from. I think it's awesome. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of him. And, um, you know, it's like, it's like a, a father, you know, because you just see all he's accomplished in – you know, kind of the path that he had to take. And he was unsure of himself for the longest time. And the fact that um, he is where he is now, I can tell you he's not unsure of himself now.
No, no doubt. Chaser, we always appreciate you taking the time. We always love hearing from you, and, and <laughs> the stories are the best. And by the way, you're a great dad. Have a happy Father's Day on Sunday. Thank you. Take care. All right, we'll talk to you soon. That is former Blues player and broadcaster Kelly Chase and one of the funniest people you'll ever hear. Is that not one of the all-time stories we've ever heard? Oh, yeah, unbelievable. How do you get lost in a parade? (laughs) Yeah, and if you want to hear that again, if you got in late, all you have to do is listen to our podcast later in the day. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. You can hear it on the 101 ESPN app, and you need to download that. And win $1,000, by the way. And you can also hear it at 101ESPN.com. We're going to head down the stretch with a little bit of what's on tap next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ryan O'Reilly's dad, Brian, earlier in the show, along with Danny Mack and Kelly Chase. You can hear all of those with the 101 ESPN app. Just download it today. It's loaded with a ton of awesome giveaways this month. And by the way, all of the content that you hear from our show and all the other podcasts on 101 ESPN or the 101 ESPN app brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Service. But even if you already have the app, check out the reward section to see all the giveaways. Download, get registered, and get your chance to win $1,000 in cold, hard cash or a Traeger grill, which mm. I kind of like, mm-hmm. a rolling Yeti cooler, which I like a lot, a signed Ryan, signed Ryan O'Reilly Blues jersey, and much more. All those contests going on right now on the 101 ESPN mobile app. Download it today to whatever platform you use on your phone. Think about all of those things that you could win, plus the great content you're going to get for free. Yeah, $1,000 cash or a Traeger grill. What would you rather have? How much is a Traeger? I so, don't even know. Uh, it depends on what one you get, but I would, if I'm given the choice, Michelle, and and I don't have either one, knowing what I know, I'm going with the Traeger. Really? Yeah. I'm glad you're going with the Traeger because that means more carrot cakes for us. Yeah. You guys want a carrot cake? I'll, I could do a carrot cake this week. I'm just going to be sitting in the air conditioning with the heat advisory that starts in an hour, by the way. Well, that's what I was going to say, Randy, is as much as I would love a carrot cake, I'm not going to have you stand outside over a hot grill to make it for us oh, in no. this heat. I can come back in. I can, it's not bad. It's actually probably pretty good. It's a good thing. Maybe at the end of the week? Yeah, we can do that. When it's cooled down a little? Absolutely. That, again, people um, should not be outside for the next couple of days. It's going to be super hot. I will make a couple of them. That'll be good. Uh, we've got a, a a fantastic balloon party coming up with T-Mac <laughs> and Ajax here on 101 ESPN. Don't forget, tonight, NBA Finals Game 5. I kind of have a bad feeling, Michelle, about the, our Celtics. Why? Jason be, Tatum's due. He, he Monster game. Going back to San Francisco and they took game one there. They're fine. I know they did. But Steph Curry just seems to be in the zone. At least he sure was in the last game. But we haven't seen Jason Tatum be really Jason Tatum yet. He needs to be tonight. I'm watching. We have all these TVs up here, and it's who's been the bigger disappointment in the final finals, Jason Tatum or whomever. He's going to be motivated. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he's going to have a great game. You'll hear it here on 101 ESPN pregame at 7, and then on Wednesday night, the first of all of the Stanley Cup Finals games here on 101 ESPN, pregame Wednesday at 6.30. And don't forget the Cardinals also play tonight, Bally Sports, 6.45 start. Danny Mack will have the call for you there. And the Cardinals play four against the Pirates. Uh, let's win four. I was just going to say, sweep? Yeah, why not? I mean... Could have swept the Reds yesterday. Yeah. You let that one drop, so you're... you're 
going for it yeah. with the Bucks. Cardinals are better than they're just way better than the Pirates. Everybody's way better than the Pirates. Yeah, they are. No disrespect. Except the Royals. Hey, 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 that Dodgers for a three-day stretch warrant. That's true. Well, Great point. Great point. point. Baseball, yeah, so, man. Everyone yeah. wins 54. Everybody that's, loses 54. That's how baseball go. By the way, we're getting a lot of people texting in saying that they're working outside all week listening to us. Oh. Take care of yourselves. If you yeah. have to be outside, if your work is outside and you need to, please hydrate. Please have yeah. fans. Please take care of yourself because this heat is no joke. We were outside last night. It was 9 p.m. sweltering. Yeah. If you're out on the golf course today... Uh, one bottle of water per hole is what I recommend. Are you just going back and forth to the clubhouse using the restroom all the time? No, because you sweat it all out. Mm, play for the tie? Yep. From a no hydration standpoint? Yep. I understand. Yep. Uh, Tim McKernan is standing outside the door impatiently, so we'll get to him. Great job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. Michelle, this was fun. We'll do it again on Dad's Week tomorrow. What a great show today. How much fun. Can't wait to come back in tomorrow. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of this show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.